0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. I want you to reach into your worship guides and take out your teaching notes, if you would. Um, if you've been around me long enough, you know that uh, we will get to the teaching notes, but it might be a little bit of time before we get there. And as always, the answers are at the bottom of the page. <clears throat> um, but we're going we're to cover what's, what's in there. Also, if you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And once you're there, if you'll just hold your place, Uh, we'll come back to that passage in just a few moments. And while you're turning there, I'd like to tell you what I believe is an interesting story. Um, In 1946, there was a chemist by the name of Vincent Schaefer who conducted a series of experiments in a general research uh, laboratory, general electric research laboratory, Um, Using a a freezer chilled to sub-zero temperatures, he created clouds in the freezer using his breath, and then he infused those clouds with various chemical substances. His hope is that it would create condensation. Well, after many months and many failed attempts, he decided to try something a little different, and he added dry ice to the freezer. And he was onto something because there was a chemical reaction. When the dry ice was placed in the freezer, uh, snow crystals began to form. And so he decided a few months later that it's time to put this discovery to the real test. So on November 13th, Uh, 1946, a a plane took off carrying six pounds of dry ice. And the mission was to infuse the clouds with carbon dioxide. And the the hope was that something would take place in the clouds that was much greater than what happened in that freezer. So the, the airplane took off, and when it reached the right altitude, the dry ice was dropped into the clouds. And sure enough, there was a chemical reaction. And the eyewitnesses on the ground said it looked like the clouds exploded. It actually began to snow. And it's reported that that snow could be seen from 40 miles away. Pretty pretty astounding if you think about it. Well, the, the process, the, the chemical reaction and the process that... Uh, uh, Vincent Schaefer was using was a process or is a process known as seeding the clouds, seeding the clouds, and seeding the clouds is actually what I want to talk to you about today, but not in a scientific means. I don't want to spend the rest of my time talking about science and Vincent Schaefer and how that all played out. But instead, I want to use that story as a metaphor that would connect us to what I believe is a spiritual principle or a spiritual concept of seeding the clouds. And we're going to look at the story in 1 Kings chapter 18, particularly in verses 41 through 46. This concept of seeding the clouds dates all the way back to a a prophet by the name of Elijah. And so... um, I want, I want to read that passage to you in just a moment. But I believe before we can fully understand what's going on in the passage, we need some context. And, you know, that's the way we always study Scripture, right? It's not just about what's happening while you're reading, but you need to take time. We need to take time. What was going on before that led up to this? Uh, what's happening during? And oftentimes we need to even look to see what was taking place afterwards. So I want to spend just a few moments... Um, helping you see, giving you context of what was happening prior to verse 41 of chapter 18. And to do that, I need to go all the way back to chapter 16. And you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to give you a really quick flyover uh, and cover some of the things that were going on in those chapters. So we begin by looking towards the end of chapter 16. And in the end of chapter 16, we learned that there was a king. And the king's name was Ahab. And uh, one of the things that we learn about the king uh, King Ahab is that King Ahab was not a very good king. In fact, I think we could say that he was an evil king. King Ahab introduced Baal worship to the Israelites and they became captive by it. It became a stronghold. It became a stronghold for some 14 years. Um, The scripture says in chapter 16, and think about this, there were some kings who were really wicked before him. But it says, Ahab angered God more than any other king who served before him. So again, we could say he was not a good king. Well, um, as we come to the beginning of chapter 17, we learn that there was a prophet. And the prophet's name was Elijah. And Elijah uh, receives a word from the Lord. He is to go and he is to to deliver a message to King Ahab. And here's the message, my paraphrase of it. There's going to be a drought and it's going to last for a few years. Now remember, Ahab has introduced Baal worship to the Israelites and they become captivated by it. It's been a stronghold in their lives for 14 years. Well, we can read in Deuteronomy and Leviticus that the punishment that God promised to inflict on Israel if they turn their backs on God and begin to worship other gods was drought. So this drought that Elijah has announced is a direct result of Baal worship. And, that, and that's very important. Um, in the remainder of chapter 17, we learn how... Um, uh, the prophet Elijah navigated through the years of drought. We learn of how God had ravens bring him food in both the morning and the evening. And then we learn that God provided through the the widow whose um, uh, jar of flour and jar of oil was seemed bottomless. And it just kept giving and giving and giving. And then in the end of chapter 17, we also read of how the widow's son uh, died. She was pretty upset with Elijah, but Elijah takes her son upstairs to where he's been staying. He prays for him and the sun comes back to life. And then, and now think about this, several years have passed. As we begin chapter 18, uh, we read that God is getting ready to send the rain. The drought is coming to an end, but God sending the rain is dependent, it's conditioned on a meeting that needs to take place between Elijah and between Ahab. So in the middle of chapter 18, what we find is Elijah and Ahab coming face to face. And when they come face to face, this is what Elijah says. Summon all of Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. They all come together. They're summoned by King Ahab. And once they're summoned, Elijah... Challenges them. And basically, he says, Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve Baal? Are you going to serve the one true God? And then he says, I'm going to help you decide. And so he says, This is the plan. I want you to build an altar, and then I'm going to build an altar. I want you to prepare your altar and I want you to put sacrifices on it. You're going to go first because there's so many of you 450. You're going to go first and here's the deal. You are to call on Baal and ask him to rain down fire to consume the sacrifice. So they build their altar, they place the sacrifices on it, and they begin to call out to Baal, little G God, but there's nothing happening. And so they wear themselves out dancing and dancing and dancing around this altar and there's no fire. And then Elijah says, okay, it's my turn. And so he constructs his altar. He places the sacrifice on it. But then he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pour water all over it. And they do. He says, okay, I want you to do that again. And then he says, do that a third time. And then Elijah calls out to God, the one true God. Because remember, he says, the one, the God who rains down fire from heaven, we're going to know that that's the one true God. And so he calls to God, and what happens? God sends fire from heaven. And not only does it consume the sacrifice, but it consumes the altar. And the response is that the, uh, the Israelites fall on their faces in repentance, and they say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. In other words, they've seen the fire from heaven. They've seen that Baal was Unable, because really Baal doesn't exist. He's man-made. And they see the power of God come down and consume the sacrifice and the altar. And so suddenly there's a repentance. They've been walking towards and they've been worshiping Baal. And now they turn. And they turn back to their one true God. And they say, this is the God that we're going to worship. And so now we can come to Elijah's cloud story. I want to read it to you, but uh, it begins in verse 41. But before I read beginning at 41, I think it's necessary to, to read verse 40. So remember, all of this has happened. God has revealed himself. He sent down the fire. The Israelites have repented. And then it says in verse 40, Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And I think that before we move on to verse 41, we have to think, how is the best way to transition from verse 40 to verse 41? And I think it's to pause and to recognize what's really happened. Remember, this drought had been brought on because God inflicted the punishment of drought because they had turned their backs on him and worshiped other gods. And now that's ended. Listen to this. The stronghold of Baal worship has ended. It's no more. I'm going to say that again. The stronghold of Baal worship has ended. They've been set free, they've turned back to God. So, the best way to transition from verse 40 to 41 is to pause and to take a breath and to realize the stronghold's broken captivity has gone there's been a return to the one true God and I would take the time to do that because the same kind of thing has to happen in our lives when there have been strongholds in our lives And we turn to God and we experience the power of God so that they can be broken. We have to stop and we have to realize that now we walk in freedom. We're no longer captive to whatever's held us for some years. For the Israelites, it had been 14 years. So we pause and we recognize the freedom. And then I love what happens. In verse 41, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink. For there is the sound of heavy rain. Do you see the faith? It hasn't rained. Apparently there's no clouds in the sky, but somehow in his spiritual mind, he, he hears the rain. Go eat and drink, for there's the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bit down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and he looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Still, we see this great faith Meanwhile, listen to this, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Let's talk about that for just a moment. So what we've just read in that story is that Captivity of Baal has ended. The stronghold has been broken. And Elijah instructs King Ahab, go, go get something to eat, go get something to drink. We don't know why, but it's, it's suspected that perhaps he had been fasting. He had been fasting to his little G God. But what we do know is that he, that's what he did. He went off. But meanwhile... Elijah climbs up further on Mount Carmel. And he goes down to the ground. He humbles himself. He places himself in a posture of prayer. He puts his face between his knees. I'm sorry, I'm not that limber, so my face is not going to go between my knees. But he puts his face between his knees. And he calls out, God, send the rain the captivity has been broken. The stronghold of Baal is broken. The people have repented. They have acknowledged you as the one true God. And then he looks up at his servant and goes, Go see what you see. The servant comes, I don't see anything. And so he continues in this posture of humility and prayer. God, the stronghold has been broken. Israel has repented. They've acknowledged you as the one true God. Go look and see what you see. I don't see anything. God Israel has repented. The stronghold is broken. Send the rain. What do you see? I don't see anything. God, the stronghold has been broken. Israel has repented. Send the rain. And he does that seven times. And on the seventh time, his servant comes back and he says, way out in the distance. I see something rising up over the sea. It's little. I mean, when I put my hand out, it's about the size of my hand, but there's something out there. And Elijah knows exactly what it is. He has no doubt, so he says, go tell Ahab, get on down the mountain before he gets rained out. Tell him to go now. And then we read, the sky... Became black and it burst open with rain. God gave the rain. Why? Why did the rain come? Why did the drought end? Well, I would answer that first to say the stronghold had been broken. They were no longer worshiping Baal, but they had repented. And they had turned to the one true God. It started to rain because there was repentance. The stronghold had been broken. Why did it begin to rain? I want to give you three other reasons that I I believe that it began to rain. And I just draw these from the story. The clouds had been seeded. We're talking about a spiritual principle of seeding the clouds. So I believe that what we find in this story is we see elements of seeding the clouds, and it begins with Elijah's obedience. In, verse, in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah go present yourself to Ahab. And then in verse 2, we see the seed of obedience. It says, So Elijah went. God spoke a word to Elijah, and he was obedient. You might think, what's the big deal? Think back to King Ahab. He wasn't a good king. He wasn't the kind of person you just wanted to go and hang out with. He was an evil king. He was a wicked king. Remember, this is the king who angered God more than any other king who had ruled before him. So for him to go to Ahab took a lot of courage. And as he courageously stood before Ahab in that meeting, I believe that that courage and that act of obedience was causing a rain cloud to be conceived. All because of his obedience. I think that the seeding of the cloud can be seen in Israel's repentance. We, we, When Israel fell on their faces and acknowledged the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That was an act of repentance. That was an act of repentance. Through their repentance, the stronghold of Baal was broken. But more importantly, I think even that the cloud was being seeded so the rain could come. And I think the seeding of the clouds climaxed as Elijah prayed. After the stronghold had been broken, Elijah knew that the way was clear. The way was clear for the rain. God's punishment wasn't needed anymore. Israel had repented. And so knowing this, Elijah postures himself and he prays. And as he prays, something much greater than a chemical reaction was taking place. Obedience and repentance And and prayer were merging together. They were reacting together to cause the clouds to burst open with God-given rain. So what's this all about for us? This whole concept that I'm calling a spiritual concept of seed clouding. What's the application? What, What does that mean for us? Well, if you think about it, Elijah... And even Israel, they were proactive in seeding the clouds. They may not have realized. I don't think that there was a term at that point in time, seeding the clouds. But that's what they were doing in a spiritual sense. And you and I also, we can take proactive measures today. And those proactive measures will produce desired outcomes for tomorrow. Simply put, we can sow today what we want to see tomorrow now. With those two statements, I need to give a disclaimer immediately because taken out of context are those two statements left alone can be very dangerous. Very dangerous. Because I have no doubt there is a difference in, in in the spiritual principle I'm talking about of seeding the clouds as opposed to manipulating a situation for selfish gain. Let me give you a few examples. We had fun with this in first service. Um, Parents, uh, you've probably experienced this before and um, I know that there's a few students in the room. I'm sure you're not guilty of this. But um, let's say uh, Jimmy somebody's child, Um, doesn't really have stellar behavior, kind of always getting in trouble, Um, doesn't really help out around the house, just kind of stays in the room doing what they want to do, Um, doesn't engage. Suddenly, Jimmy says, I'll take out the trash. Oh, you want me to load uh, the dishwasher? I'll even unload it when it's done. Um, Oh, you know, could I help with dinner tonight? I would love to be able to help with dinner. I'll put the trash cans out by the curb. And you're thinking, our son has had this miraculous change. This is what we've been praying for. He change. He's manipulating the situation because there's somewhere he wants to go. There's something he's getting ready to ask you for. Has it ever happened, parents? Yes. At least it did at my house. Uh, It could happen in a work situation. Perhaps there's an employee who's not really a stellar employee. They just kind of do the minimal to get by. But suddenly they read about uh, a a, a new position that's going to pay more. It's a promotion and it's going to pay more. And, And so now instead of being the last one in and the first one out, this employee is the first one there in the morning and the last one to leave. And suddenly this employee is bringing Dunkin' Donuts coffee to the boss. And, and, and they're they're volunteering for extra projects, and the and the boss is going, What's up with this? Well, boss, he's manipulating you because he wants more money, and if he gives him the job, he's gonna fall back into his old practice and manipulating the situation. And certainly this never happens in marriage, right? Husbands, you've never manipulated a situation to get what you want, right? Aaron, have you ever really wanted to do something? You just really wanted to do something until you start going the extra mile? And Santel's like, this "This really turns me on. My husband has had a change. And what you really want is you want to go on that weekend fishing trip. And you know she's going to be left alone with the kids, right? And wives. Buttering up. Buttering up. And wives, you don't get off the hook either. I, I, I'm sure that it, it's happening. So you see what I'm saying? So we have to, we have to understand that if we're saying, we're going to sow the clouds today for the desired outcome tomorrow, make sure you're not manipulating instead. But, but there's a second thing that I want to say. You know, sometimes we can act in a real spiritual sense, and, and this is just as dangerous. Sometimes there's something that we want and we work hard to convince God that's what he wants too. And so we pull out all the spiritual ammunition. We pray and we fast and, 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 and we memorize scripture and we find key scriptures and we begin to use them. And, and we're, we're trying to, uh, we're not necessarily seeding the clouds, but we're trying to force God's hand. We're using spiritual ammunition to get something that we want, but it may not necessarily be what He wants for us. And I'll just confess, I, I, I have a situation. I'm sure there are many in my life. But I think back, and without going into great detail, uh, back in 2014, there was something that I wanted really badly. And, and in my, I was convinced it would be the best spiritual thing that could happen. I wanted this, and so I, I I prayed and I fasted. I had just read um, Mark Batterson's uh, uh, Circle Maker, and, and I created. Uh, I don't know if I put it on a rock or it was an index card, but I laid it in the floor and I circled it and I prayed. Oh God, oh God, I know this is what you want. Bring it to pass. Bring it to pass. And I prayed and I prayed and I did. I I, I dreamed dream, all the stuff and. And I think that, so, I was, I was manipulating a situation through spiritual means. And, and here's what I think happened. I think God may have finally said, okay, if you want that so bad, go for it. So I did. Let me just say this, it didn't end very well it's because I was pulling out the spiritual ammunition and I was pursuing something that I wanted, but it wasn't really what God's best plan for me was. And so we have to be careful because I don't think I'm the only one guilty of this. I think that we've all done similar things like this. We cannot... Manipulate God, I made the statement. It's the second part. We can sow today what we want to see tomorrow. Here's, here's another way to think of that. What we sow today is what we will see tomorrow. That, that's actually, that's the scriptural principle. It's found in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. It's just a principle. Let me, how many gardeners are in the room? Raise your hand if you've got a garden. Raise it up high. Okay. Boy, first service, a lot of gardeners. This is not so much. so. Uh, if you have a garden, what are some of the seeds that you planted? Just, or what are seeds you plant in the garden? Tomatoes. Zucchini. Cucumbers. Anything else? Peppers. Onions. Sweet potatoes. Anybody plant Watermelon. I I asked this question after in the first service and I got a homegrown cantaloupe right afterwards. That's pretty good. Uh, What do you have for me? Uh. So, um, for those who planted tomato seeds, when you planted the tomato seeds, what did you get? Tomatoes. And when uh, when you planted cucumbers, what did you get? Cucumbers. When you planted peppers, what did you get? I planted a garden one year. I got nothing. <laughs> uh, that was my fault, my God. Uh, do, do you get where I'm going with this? It's true. Whatever we sow, we, we will get. So, so my question to you, moving that from the dirt, from the soil into your personal life, what kind of seed are you sowing? What are you sowing in your life? And let me ask this. Is there an area of your life that you feel like it's, it's in a drought season. And you need God's rain clouds to burst open with His life-giving rain. Is there an area of your life? I'd like, really like for you to think about that. Because I'm going to ask the question again as I end the message in a moment. And what are some of the lessons that we learn from Elijah's story about seeding the clouds and contending for God's rain? Well, Um, I want to give you six words that I believe come from the story. Uh, Four of them are in your notes, two are not. And so you'll recognize that really quickly. And as I give them, I just want to say, how does this apply to your life? So uh, the first word that I would say to you is alignment. And this one's not in your notes. Um, The rain came because Elijah's heart was aligned with God's heart. And um, we overcome drought in our lives when we commit to align ourselves with God's heart and God's desires. And so when we're contending, we're so in tune with his Holy Spirit that we're contending for what his heart and what his desire is. So let me ask you this morning, who or what has your heart? What are you aligning yourself with? The second word I would give to you is humility. Throughout the story of Elijah, uh, we see humility, but particularly when he moved up onto the mountain and he postured himself in prayer. When he bowed down on his knees, he placed his his head between his knees. That was a posture of prayer, but it was also a posture of humility that he was recognizing that God is the rainmaker, not him. He was acknowledging his complete humility Dependence on God. So let me ask you this morning, who or what are you depending on? Who or what are you depending on? It's in our humility, it's in our dependence on God that we find God's favor. Third word, generosity. Elijah lived his life very generously. He wasn't contending for rain just for himself. He was contending for reign for all of Israel. He was acting on behalf of Israel. And you and I, as kingdom citizens, and we spent a great deal of time, talk, 10 weeks, talking about what it means to live life as a kingdom citizen. Uh, we are called to live our life generously. In other words, it's not just about us, but it's about other people. You and I, as kingdom citizens, we are to generously give away the Jesus in us to everybody that we come in contact with. And when we do, we experience the principle of reciprocity. This is a scriptural principle. What happens is that we generously give away our lives. And I'm not talking just about money. I'm talking about when we generously give away our lives as kingdom citizens. As we're giving away, God replenishes us. He pours into us. But the reason he does is so that we would continue to live generously. And then he continues to pour back into us. And it's this ongoing cycle. So let me ask you, how generous are you with your life? Let me ask it another way. Who are you living your life for, yourself or for others? Fourth word, obedience. Obedience sets the stage for unborn tomorrows. When Elijah was obedient to God's direction to go and meet with Abraham, I believe in that meeting, the rainstorm was being conceived. The rain clouds were being conceived. It's because he obeyed the word of the Lord. And if you and I want to break out of a season of drought and seed the clouds, then we have to have obedience to God's word consistently. It's a non-negotiable. I love the statement in your notes. It's long obedience to God that positions us to see what God can do in our lives. So let me ask, are you engaged with God's word on a consistent basis? Would you consider yourself to be obedient to God's word? Fifth word, repentance. This one's not in your notes, but I believe that Israel did their part in seeding the clouds through their repentance. The rain, listen, this is so important. The rain couldn't come until the stronghold was broken. The reason for the drought was the stronghold of Baal worship. And when it was broken, the rain was able to come. And it was broken because Israel turned their hearts away from Baal and towards God. Let me ask you, what do you need to turn away from so that you can turn to God completely? Is there something in your life that there needs to be repentance you need to turn away from it so you can turn to God. And then finally, prayer. Prayer is that passionate and persistent way that opens the way for breakthrough. There was an act of obedience on Elijah's part, there was an act of obedience on Israel's part, of repentance on Israel's part. But as Elijah bowed down and placed his head between his knees, And began to pray. There was an infusion. A persistent. Passionate prayer. Into the atmosphere. And the atmosphere changed. Literally. The atmosphere changed. Because of that posture of prayer. Are you infusing the atmosphere. With prayer. Is the atmosphere changing. Because. Because. You pray. As we close this morning, and you tell we're getting ready to do that because the worship team's here, we're going to close a little differently this morning. We're going to close with them singing a song that we're going to listen to. Um, considering everything I said, considering Elijah's story, considering the, 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 the principle of seeding the cloud, considering drought. What is is one thing? What is just one thing in your life? What is one area of your life that you feel like in that area of my life's in drought? And I need the life-giving rain of God that comes through the Holy Spirit infused into my life. What is one thing? What is one area? And then the follow-up question is, what do you need to do? Is this a question of disobedience? Is there something that needs to be repented of? Have you been held captive? Is there a stronghold that needs to be broken? What do you need to do? What do you need to offer to God? It's not just about what can you do, but what can you surrender to God so that the Holy Spirit can work and bring the rain. The rain's always available to us the reign of the Holy Spirit, life-giving water. But it is possible that we enter into seasons of drought for various reasons. So what I want you to do is I want you to listen to the words of this song. You don't need to try it. You can sing it if you want to, uh, but the words aren't going to come up, so you won't be able to unless you already know it. Uh, but I want you to listen. I want you to listen. And I want, as you're listening, not only listen to the words of the song, but listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart revealing to you something about that area of drought and listen for the Holy Spirit to tell you what it is you need to surrender and perhaps while this song is being sung there would be a point where you would symbolically seed the cloud because you, you you just stand to your feet and you're saying I receive your rain." I'm surrendering this to you. I receive your I'm not forcing you to do that. I'm just saying perhaps that's something you would do as an act of obedience. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.